0: I couldn't believe it. She actually said yes. In an instant, I was flooded with two emotions, both elation and surprise. It was July, 2012, and believe it or not, church, Rachel actually agreed to marry me. Now, I'm a little bit surprised still, to be honest, and I know many of you are too. And on top of her saying yes, my romantic plan to ask her had worked out perfectly. That evening, we went out for dinner at this beautiful steakhouse in Lakeland, Florida. But I didn't ask her. Then we went for a walk around this beautiful lake, Lake Mir in downtown Lakeland. But I didn't ask her. Then as It seemed like all hope was lost, like the evening was over. As we were walking downtown back to the car, we walked by a small restaurant where live music was playing. And we walked inside, and in front of everyone, I grabbed the microphone from the musicians and I asked her to marry me. I figured in front of the crowd there was a little more pressure for her to say yes. And she did. And then we danced to the Temptations song, My Girl Together. The evening couldn't have gone better. My plan had worked perfectly. And even more importantly, she had said yes. But that evening, something interesting happened. After I said goodnight to Rachel, and I started my long drive home back to Punagorda, Florida, my feelings of, elation and surprise started to be replaced by some very different feelings, some feelings of doubt and fear. I thought to myself, could Rachel really want to marry a guy like me? I mean, if she actually knew me, everything about me, there would be no way. And I started to have these doubts run through my mind of how unworthy I was to be engaged to a woman like her. I remember even trying to go to bed that night and tossing and turning because I was so filled with doubt. And in fact, doubt is where our passage begins this morning. It begins with doubt, and I've never really noticed this before, with some of the disciples doubting. And what we're going to see in our text this morning is, friends, sometimes we all have doubts, but Jesus has all authority. And he empowers us by his authority for his mission to go and make disciples. So let's take a look at specifically this first aspect of our text, that sometimes we all have doubts. Starting in verse 16 of the passage, it says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, They worshiped him, but some doubted, but some doubted. Now, I just want us to stop here for a moment. And I want to think about these individuals, who these 11 individuals are that are before Jesus, worshiping him and doubting him. Matthew is very clear here. This isn't some riffraff. This isn't a larger group of disciples. It's not the 120. This isn't individuals that just knew Jesus a little bit. This is the 11. The 11 that had walked with Jesus for three years of his ministry. And here they are before the resurrected glorified Jesus. And he's not bloodied. He's not recovering from his wounds. He's been completely and utterly transformed. And it says, they worshiped him, but some doubted. These are the same individuals that witnessed Jesus walk on water. The same individuals that saw Jesus calm the storm. The same ones that watched Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet, some of them doubt. So let's see how Jesus reacts to these doubting individuals. What does he do? Well, in the next verse, I love what it says. It says, and Jesus came and said to them. This is how the Good News translation puts it. It says, but Jesus drew near to them. But Jesus drew near to them. I love how Matthew includes this moment in the scriptures. You see, because many of us have this idea in our heads as followers of Jesus that we are not allowed to doubt. And that's just not true. Friends, I've seen God do some miraculous things in my life. I've prayed for people and he's healed them. I've seen God transform people that only could it be explained by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yet, there are moments where if I'm honest, I doubt. Just like I doubted that Rachel could actually love me, I doubt that God could love me. I doubt that He is good. I doubt that He has a plan for my life. And so did the disciples. I think Martin Luther is very intentional, I love how intentional he is in his definition of faith. He says simply that faith is the wrestle with doubt. And some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we are wrestling today and how does Jesus respond to us as we doubt him? Well, he does what's in his nature, he moves towards us. Notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't look at us in the moment and say, okay, you're doubting, I'm done with you. I'm gonna get a new disciple. He doesn't look at us and say, oh, you're doubting, you fool. No, he doesn't do any of that. He simply does what's in his nature and he moves towards us in relationship. Some of us need to hear this today. It's not like Jesus is looking down on us from heaven surprised by our doubts or our sins. No, he knows us fully, and yet he loves us the same. I want you to be encouraged this morning. Jesus knows, and yet he loves. But notice the text doesn't just end with us doubting and Jesus moving towards us. No, because Jesus is now going to do something. He's going to remind us of something, something that many of us already know, but it's something that we need to be reminded of constantly. He's going to remind us that our relationship with him, it isn't really about us or how we feel anyway. No, it's not based on our authority, It's based on his authority. So let's take a look at that in the text. Going on in verse 18, it says this. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, what does Jesus mean by all authority on heaven and on earth is his? Well, the definition of authority is simply the right of a leader's extent to use his or her power. So what does Jesus have the right to extend his power over? Well, here's the deal. You see that word all? This is very important for you to get. In the Greek, it means all. It means everything, all of it. In this statement, Jesus is declaring himself the undefeated champion of the universe, my friends. And he says that he has authority over what? Over it all, over everything. And I love this because this is what Jesus says about himself. It's not like someone is... Pointing to him and saying it about him, this is self proclaimed. And remember, this is very unique about Jesus. Jesus is the only religious leader that points to himself over and over again as the solution to our problems. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And remember this authority piece that he's talking about. It's not something new. This isn't something that was granted to Jesus after the resurrection. No, it's a summary of his life and his ministry. The scriptures are clear. They say that he taught as one with authority. He forgave sins as one with authority. He cast out demons as one with authority. This is a common descriptor of everything he did and everything he was. And now here he is in front of us reminding us of this truth that all authority on heaven and on earth is his that it all belongs to him. And this is so important, friends. I want you to remember something. As Jesus looks out on our world, there is no space and no person that he looks at and doesn't declare that belongs to me. Friends, it's all his. And when Jesus says that he has authority over all of it, over heaven and over earth, this is incredibly important because he has authority over both arenas. This means that he can solve a problem that we cannot solve. He can solve the separation between us and God the Father because of sin. And this Heaven reference, friends, is not just a reference to heaven post-death, but it's also a reference to heaven in the present, through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And what is all of this based on? What is this access based on? It's based on his authority. This is why God's plan of salvation is trustworthy, because it's not rooted in us. It's not rooted in our authority. Now, if the text just ended here, we would be tempted to think, okay, Jesus, he's got this. He's got all authority. He doesn't need us. But this isn't where the story ends. Because now in his authority, Jesus invites us in. And charges us now for his mission to go and make disciples. Let's take a look at that in the passage. Starting in verse 9, he says this. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, I think this opening line could be better translated, not go therefore, but go move. Go move and make disciples. And remember who he is saying this to. Remember the context of this passage. He is saying this to a group of people that prove my last point that it's not really about our authority. It's not really about us. Jesus is in front of the 11 and these 11, they were not men of theological authority or ecclesiological authority or intellectual authority. They're country men that haven't been formally trained in any religious education. They haven't gone to seminary. They don't have PhDs. No, they're fishermen and tax collectors and small business owners. And not only that, they're petty. They're constantly arguing over things like, who is the greatest? And yet, Jesus looks at them and he says, go. And this gives me such hope, and it should give you such hope this morning because if you are sitting there right now feeling like you're not good enough, or you're not equipped enough, or you're not smart enough, or you're not knowledgeable enough in the scriptures, I want to remind you of something that it's His authority, it's His mission. It's his grace. It's his love. It's not really about you. So stop making it all about yourself. Friends, the God of the universe is lovingly inviting each of you, each of us to be active participants in his mission of reconciliation to seek and save the lost. And some of you know that this is part of my job title at Stanwich Church. I'm the pastor of evangelism and discipleship. I think this is part of the reason why a few of you have been avoiding me because you are so afraid of this idea of evangelism. Well, church, it's my job to remind you and equip you for this mission. And this is part of the reason why this spring, Laura Las Paluto Gina Choi and myself are going to be leading a very practical study on how to do some of these basic aspects of our faith. And we're going to get really, really practical with you. But I just want you to remember that we never really feel equipped enough. We never really feel knowledgeable enough. We never really feel good enough for this mission. I'm a pastor and I still don't feel knowledgeable enough half the time. But thankfully, this mission, it's not really about me. It's not really about you. It's about what God wants to do in this world. And it's a mission not just for pastors or elders or deacons or priests or life group leaders or missionaries or those people who are not you. This is a call for each and every one of us. So let's take a look at this command, this imperative that Jesus gives us. He says, go therefore. Now friends, notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say therefore sit, I got this. No, he actively invites us in. We get the privilege of joining him in his plan of reconciliation for our world. And some of you have never seen it as your mission to go. Well, I'm here to remind you this morning that this is an imperative. In Jesus' mind, this is not an option. And he's not just talking about formal missions across the world, although formal missions are great and our mission trips here at Standwich are powerful. I encourage you if you can go on one to go. But for many of you, he's just calling you to walk across the street or across the room. Some of us, when we think of evangelism or when we think of mission, uh, we think of some super spiritual thing, but it's really just a human thing. And it starts with us simply saying hello to someone and being kind and trusting God. If you're ever wondering what you should do in the moment, what God's mission for you is in the moment, I have a simple answer for you. Be kind. Now, each of you also have an opportunity for kingdom influence that I don't have and that no other individual in this world has. God has given you a unique group of family and friends for such a time as this so that you can go there for. So we're called to go and do what? Jesus goes on to say, and make disciples. Notice the mission of the church is not to make converts or supporters. No, the mission is to make disciples who then make disciples, who then make disciples, who then make disciples. And friends, disciples do not just happen spontaneously at conversion. They are made through hard work and efforts made by other Christians. They're made here at Stanwich through life groups, through intentional relationships. They're made through a long obedience from each of us over time. They're made through us opening up our lives and our homes to others. For those of you who that live in a home or an apartment for that matter, I want you to do something for me. I want you to stop thinking about that home or that apartment as a monastery in which you escape from the world. And I want you to start thinking about it as a forward operating base for God's mission in your neighborhood and in your building. So... Where does discipleship begin? Well, it begins with repentance of sin and baptism. But it doesn't end there. And we've seen over 20 baptized through the ministries of our church this past year. But friends, God has so much more, so much more for us as a church. And I want to remind you, he has so much more for each and every one of you. And repentance and baptism, that's just the beginning of discipleship. That's the beginning of the journey. But discipleship itself is a lifelong process of being conformed to the image of Jesus. I'll tell you right now exactly how long it's going to take each of us to become fully conformed to the image of Jesus. It's going to take each of us one more day then we are alive in this world because we won't fully be like him till we're face to face with him in glory but friends god is calling you he's calling you for his mission mission for such a time as this and i want to remind you we live in a moment of history where we have more kingdom opportunity and influence than ever before because where there is great suffering, there is great opportunity. And God is calling us each to go. But notice the passage doesn't end with this imperative. It doesn't end with this command. No, Jesus masterfully ends it with a promise. He says, and behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. It was a few months into our engagement when Rachel and I sat down to have the talk where I felt like I had to confess everything to her so that she knew exactly what she was getting into when she married me. And I remember leading up to that conversation, I was so nervous. I was filled with so much doubt. I thought she was going to reject me. And we finally sat down together and I told her everything. And at the end of the conversation, she stood up, came over and sat down next to me and gave me a huge hug. And in that moment, I remember feeling the love of God like never before. Some of you this morning are feeling unworthy of God's mission, like you're not good enough. But friends, I want to remind you, Jesus has very different thoughts about you. In fact, he's right there with you now. And he always has been. And he's waiting to embrace you. Because remember, church, sometimes we all have doubts. But Jesus has all authority. And he empowers us for his mission to go and make disciples. And he is with us to the end of the age. Thanks be to God.